I wanted to talk tonight about intentions. Was there any, anybody? It's, it's January 3rd, so it's in a kind of an obvious topic uh, for this time of year. Did anybody come to our intention setting on Sunday, New Year's Eve? A couple people were here. Yeah, great. Um, I was here. Um, we do two of them. We do one in Santa Monica. We do one here. And what it is, it's, you know, we're often ta- we often talk about resolutions. Anybody here make resolutions? Huh? Uh-uh. <laughs> no. Don't work. Don't work. Yeah, that's it, you know. Um, most of them don't. And, you know, come, you know, come back here next week. This room will be packed. Or go to a gym, go to a yoga studio. You know, you know the drill. You go somewhere in January, it's packed, and then come back in March, and it's like, hello. Um, but what, what we talk about in Buddhism and, and what we do here is, in uh, a lot of places, I know there was, we had a New Year's uh, retreat, uh, up in Malibu at a camp in Malibu and they did an intention setting on New Year's Eve there and it's a very common practice to set intentions and what they are it's not resolutions like I'm going to do this but it's it's a reflection on your experiences over the past year over the past few years and a reflection of what you want to uh, an aspiration for the future an aspiration and I and it's it's a it's a real treat to get to hear all these intentions because what happens is we have um, this thing is covered with tea lights and there's like 150 people in this room and everyone had the opportunity to come up and light one of the li- uh, candles and say their intention out loud and what you hear over and over and over again is people's intention to be kind people's intentions to be compassionate to themselves and to others, to themselves and to others. And that's, that's so far from a revel, resolution, this idea of kindness and compassion, and it's so important. And intention is a very important teaching in Buddhism. It's one of the factors of the Eightfold Path. And if you're new to Buddhism, excuse me, if you're new to Buddhism, the Eightfold Path is the Buddha's prescription for freedom from suffering. It is its prescription for liberation, freedom, awakening, all any of those things. Choose your choose your. Uh, is it a noun? Choose your noun. <laughs> and so it's his prescription for this. You know, his teaching is that we suffer because we want things to be our way. We want it to be the way we want it to be, and when it's not. It's uncomfortable. And we do various things to try and make it be our way somehow, or we blame, or we yell, or we cry, or we pout, or we run away, or we break, whatever we do. Um, and we suffer over it. And, and his, his, he said, don't do that. Be at one with what's happening. Be with what is, whatever it is. And so wise intention in the Eightfold Path comes is, is in traditionally how we look at it is the second factor. Um, the first factor of the Eightfold Path that we generally look at is wise view, seeing things clearly, seeing that life is unsatisfactory. Things are impermanent, things change, things shift, things go away. You know, things end. 
I, I, I started this morning, I, um, I conducted a memorial service at a crematorium. A friend's partner was hit by a car a couple of weeks ago and died. And he was a practicing Buddhist and she asked me to come. And that was, you know, and um, things happen in this world. We have this idea that if we just manage appropriately, it, it's not going to happen, but we, it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And how do we show up for it? How can we be with it? That's the question. Can we be at ease even when it sucks? That's what the Buddha's invitation is, to recognize that sometimes it sucks. And how can we hold that? How can we be with that? So seeing clearly that it sucks, and sometimes it doesn't suck. It's not it doesn't always suck. Sometimes you gain and you lose. There's pleasure and there's pain. So there's a balance to our lives. And we tend to want the pleasant all the time and not the unpleasant. And the Buddha said, dude, take both. You can't have one without the other. So learn how to be open-handed for both. So you have wise view, seeing clearly the nature of existence. And wise intention is the next next factor and it's kind of like the bridge seeing clearly and then you have an intention you go okay I see clearly and I'm going to set my life on a path that lives um, with an acknowledgement of these 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 truths about existence and then the next section of the eightfold path is about ethical behavior it's about integrity it's how do we live in the world without causing harm how do we live in relationship with other human beings? And that's, and ourselves. I always, I always forget ourselves in this picture. So I always try and remember to bring us into it. How do we live in harmony with ourselves as well? And so the intention that we set for ourselves, this wise intention, is to live skillfully and not cause harm. The, uh, there's a saying that you've probably heard, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That is not a Buddhist concept. <laughs> Let that one go. Tanisaru Bhikkhu, who is a monk, um, a great scholar, all these, oh, there's not so many right now. We'll probably get another shipment. And he's a, he's a prolific writer. And if you ever see books up here, they're freely offered. He ships out books all the time. We've got, we get dozens of them. And he um, writes this stuff. But he, he wrote, uh, he wrote a, uh, an essay called um, The Road to Nirvana or The Road to Awakening is Paved with Skillful Intentions. So it's not just good intentions, but it's skillful intentions. And he talks about different types of intentions. We do good because it feels, there's things we do because um, it feels good, or things we do because it has positive or, or beneficial results. And he says that's what we want to focus on. That's what we want to start investigating about our experience and about what we're doing. Um, it's skill. So the skillful means give good. The skillful intentions give good results, have good results. They're not just pleasant. They're not just good to do. 
So it's in a simple one, let's say you, um, resolution, intention, you want to go to the gym. Okay, investigate that. Why? I know I love going to the gym because I feel really good when I come out of the gym. When I get, it just makes me feel good. But then there's this other side. Sometimes, do I want to go to the gym so I'll, I'll look better and people will think I'm X, Y, or Z? You know, do we have an ulterior motive? Are we nice to people because we want to get our way? Are we people-pleasing? Because we're afraid it will hurt too much if they don't like us? Are we driven by fear? Or because we really are, are caring? So these are questions that we begin to investigate for ourselves. You know, can we, be, can we have an intention that is, um, has skillful results? That is beneficial and is not driven by our greed? Or our aversion? Or our ignorance? And when, you talk, when we talk about the uh, intention in the Eightfold Path, they talk about three factors around intention. And one of them is, well, there's the three of them are um, renunciation, goodwill, and harmlessness. And renunciation is one of those words that makes you think of resolution. I'm giving up candy. I'm quitting smoking. I'm doing all these things that I really love to do because I'll be a better person. <sighs> Anybody have those experiences? Yeah. <laughs> and it's not that we do it because we'll be a better person if we do it, but we'll do, we let go of things because we see how we suffer when we hold on to them. We cling to things because we think they'll, they'll, be, they'll make us what we want. They'll give us, they'll give us the results we want. And we won't, you know, the, we'll our story will be complete. We have a story. We all have stories about what our lives should look like, what um, people should think about us, what we should think about ourselves. And we do things to support that. And we hold on to things to support that. I haven't told this story in a while. Maybe only four of you have heard it. Um, (laughs) I used to be an archaeologist, and I used to go to the Middle East every year and excavate. And I was there, it was actually in 2006. I did, I did the year to live practice with Noah back in 2005, 2000, no, 2006, 2007. And the year to live practice is to, when you spend the year living as though it were your last year. In fact, I'm gonna call, we're going to have another one starting in April. There's flyers up there. Um, so I did this practice, and I said, you know what? If I only have a year to live, I want to spend the entire season, the full season in Syria. I used to go to Syria. Spend the full season in Syria, and then stay at the end and work on a publication and have a publication done by the time I die. That's what I want. And I said, okay, I'm going to Syria for two months. And I got to Syria, and the day I got there, I went, shit, I don't want to be here. If I only have a year to live, I don't want to be here. I want to be home with my family and my friends. And it was the hardest two months I spent in a really long time. It was so difficult. Every day it was like, ugh. 
it was mis- luckily I was practicing and I'd get up in the morning and, and I'd sit I'd, we'd start work at 5 in the morning and I'd get up like at 4 so I could sit before I started work and I'd sit in, at lunchtime and I'd sit in the evening and it's just like just stay in the moment stay in the moment stay impermanence was my best friend impermanence mm-hmm. was my best friend and I realized it's like I don't want to do this anymore I was I liked the idea of being an archaeologist it was cool and if I wasn't an archaeologist anymore oh my god then I wouldn't be cool then what would I be I don't know I worked for Xerox too Um, and so it's like I I I I was I was that year was really tough and so the next year rolled around and what happened I went back because I couldn't let go the idea was so strong I couldn't let go I couldn't renounce that image of myself that image of Mary the archaeologist that self view that I had formed who would I be if I let go of that it caused me so much discomfort but I still couldn't let go of it (laughs) I went back but I only went back for three weeks he was almost smart. <laughs> and I have my journal from that year. I used to keep a journal every year when I was overseas. And I have written in it, it's like, in big letters, remember, you don't want to be here. <laughs> don't want to be here. And I finally, I let it go, and I didn't go back. And it was like, and the earth didn't end, and my friends didn't leave me. It's like, fuck, you're not an archaeologist anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with you. That didn't happen. And the funny thing is, a couple of years later, I was in this writing class, and I, and I wrote a piece about being cool and, and something about archaeology being cool. And when I was done, the teacher was giving me feedback, and she said, you know, it's really funny what you think is cool. And I went, what do you mean? She goes, like, being an archaeologist. And I'm like, well, it is. She goes, not in my world. And I'm like, so there's a whole other world out there. <laughs> that didn't think archaeology was cool. And I was like, what? (laughs) So, reality check, exactly. But we get so enmeshed in our own minds. We get so enmeshed in our own view, our hardened views, that that we're afraid to go outside of them. That's fear. We're driven by fear. That's what's underneath all these things. So this, these teachings, this wise view, invites us to look at that. That's why we stay present. That's why we sit on the cushion. So we can learn how to sit. Oh, there's fear there. What does the fear feel like? And we learn how to become friends with these emotions that we've run away from. Who wants to be friends with fear? It's a good idea, though. It's there. Can we be friends with fear? I always think of a little couch. I have a little couch over here. And all these things that I'm not crazy about. Fear, have a seat. Pat it on the head. (laughs) Anger, jealousy, hello. They're there. They're there. It's when I push against them. It's when I fight them. It intensifies the discomfort. So the renunciation is the willingness to let go of our dear, our dear children. You know? 
what do they kill it? Um, it's a it's a writing phrase. Kill your baby, something like that. When you know writers who hold on to you know screenwriters, they, they, you got to cut that scene and like, no, it's the best scene in the whole script. It's like out out authors got to cut this chapter. No, it's like let it go, let it go, let it go. So that's what renunciation is. When we're, when we're holding on so tightly, we don't even see the big picture. And so this intention is about letting go of things that don't serve because the result is, is, is um, an ease that we're not even aware of until we let go. And so it, we recognize that it's not the thing itself it's our relationship to it. So it's not archaeology, it was my relationship to archaeology. You know, so I, 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 like the, um, I like the example of social media. You know, some people, Facebook, it's, it brings up so much discomfort and, and angst. And, uh, so it's not Facebook itself, it's our relationship to it. Because some people can go on and just look at cat videos and go, I love Facebook, and, and go away. And then other people are like drawn into the drama of life in this world right now. And it's like, and the blood pressure goes up. It's like that's suffering. You're creating suffering for yourself. I might miss out. It's like, really? No, you're not going to miss out. You can find out what's going on in the world without going onto Facebook. So it's your relationship to these things. Are they causing you discomfort? That's, when you, that's what you look at. And you investigate for yourself. So it's not like, okay, everybody in this room has to give up X, Y, or Z. That makes no sense. It's if you are uncomfortable with it, if you suffer from it, that's where you investigate. That's your edge. That's what you have to look at. Also intention. And so this renunciation is an antidote to craving and greed. You know, this craving to have people like you, this craving to know, this craving to not be afraid. That's what that, these, this renunciation, this letting go. If, we're, if we can let go, then we're not clinging. And the Buddha said it's this clinging. This holding on is where we suffer. So we learn to open and let go. We open and let go. Another part of intention is to have goodwill, kindness towards all beings. All beings. All beings. Even people we're not fond of, we, want, we wish goodwill for them. We don't want harm, cause harm to anyone. And that's an antidote to... Hatred and aversion. My, um, my intention this year was to continue my investigation or continue my journey of learning how to live with an undefended heart. And I, and I was looking at my notes about intention, and I guess my, my first time with that intention of living with an undefended heart was five years ago. And I've been investigating it ever since. Um, what does that mean? And when we have an undefended heart, it means that somebody said, isn't there a time when a defended heart makes sense? And really the answer is no, because that means there's aversion. Whenever we say no, we're pushing away what is. And if we're willing to open up, we become invincible because we're not saying no to anything. It doesn't mean things don't hurt. 
as I said earlier, there's, there's pain, there's loss, there's grief, there's sadness, there's joy, there's happiness. There's all those things, but we learn how to hold them. It's a, it's a challenging prospect to do this. And it's not something you're like, okay, I'll do that now. I'm far from it. I have sections of me that are really still armored, but other sections that, have, that armor has melted because of the work that I've done through this practice. And from other people I, I hear, they talk about too, it's an open heart. We have a wise heart. That's what we're doing. We're, we're not idiots, or Pema Chodron calls it idiot compassion. We're not just, we're wise and discerning. And we, but we don't say no to whatever is happening. We're willing to open to whatever is. Like I said, we, we, we have that couch, and we let all those things sit there. We invite them in, we give them tea. We say, have a seat, I'm going to go about my business anyway. It's really powerful if we can do that. And we do it a little bit at a time. I heard this really lovely way of describing it uh, last week. This practice is one that grows on us. It's like going to the ocean and you put your toe in the water and then you go a little bit further and your, the, the water comes up to your na- knees and then you're up to your shoulders and pretty soon you're immersed. And, and, you, and that's how we get into this practice. That's how we get into these teachings. We keep looking at them over and over and, and they become real for us in our lives. They start making sense more than just in an intellectual way. We start experiencing some freedom we start recognizing our suffering. We start seeing where we're caught up. If you're walking around with your stomach in knots, pay attention to that. What's driving that? <coughs> That's where you turn. What's that? In, the, in um, Zen mind, beginner's mind, it's like we have a don't know mind, you know? It's like, what is this? The question is, what is this? What is this? If we have the answers, then we don't need to ask the question. But the answers might be over here when reality is over here. So we keep saying, what is this? What's this over here? Oh, I hate archaeology. I hate doing this now. But I'm still going to go do it. Because my mind is stuck over here, but reality is over here. And how do we bring them into the same room? By setting an intention to have our mind and reality in the same room. Whatever that looks like for us, we have to find our own way with it. What is our struggle? What's our edge? Where do we run up against walls? Or where do we hold on so tightly? When you begin to investigate your intention to be kind and skillful and have beneficial results, you become willing to see where you are hurting and you suffer, where it's, where it's uncomfortable. Start looking at your places of discomfort. That's where you start. When you begin to investigate your discomfort, that's when you begin to walk towards freedom from that discomfort. If you're willing to sit with the discomfort and turn towards it, because our distraction is because we're not interested in feeling that discomfort not interested in and this 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 practices there's no way there's no way around it there's only through i i was listening to a uh, a dharma talk by tara brock and she was talking about 
art in um, a lot of the art in um, uh, Buddhist countries in Asia have all these whether it's mandalas or uh, tankas, the different the different um, textiles or gates on um, monasteries and stuff they have a lot of uh, depictions of demons and um, horrific creatures from Buddhist mythology and the message is you have to walk through these to get to freedom mm. Christians what do they call it the long dark the, lo, the, the lo, 27 years I'm trying to remember this line the long dark night of the soul no the long dark night of the soul you guys kind of know what I mean right <laughs> but the journey that we have to go through it can also be seen as a tunnel you know we have and there's so many metaphors for this this journey in so many religions and so many philosophies there's no easy way out there's only through and meditation is a tool to begin to see how we go through not around the distraction is around and we will come back from the distraction so when we learn to bring ourselves back we're learning to bring ourselves back so we can go through we can sit with and not push away The next, the next piece of intention is harmlessness. We practice non-harming. We practice non-harming. We don't cause harm. And this is what bridges us into the next part of the Eightfold Path. And we t- on, on our intention setting, we, we took the precepts. We, people were invited to take the precepts. And in, in Buddhism, precepts are guidelines for lay people. All of it, none of us in this room, I imagine, are monastics. We haven't taken monastic vows who have like hundreds of precepts, so we get five. But that's how we, we, we live in relation with other human beings in this planet, and other beings in this planet, not just other human beings, but other beings in this planet. The first precept, non-harming, do not kill. Pretty basic. Pretty basic. But it's, and you know, we can walk around going, I don't kill. But in, the, in one of the suttas, I think maybe more than one, when it talks about these precepts, it says, we put, not just not killing, we put down weapons, our weapons of destruction. And when we put down those weapons, we, we interact with people. We are with people with kindness and compassion. So it's not just don't cause harm. It's cultivate kindness and cultivate compassion. So it's not just a, a negative kind of thing, it's a, it's a positive kind of thing. It's a proactive cultivation of kindness. That's that goodwill towards others. We wish goodwill for all beings. We really don't want harm. We don't want harm to come to anyone. And if that's a, if that's a difficult um, concept, because your head comes up with, wait a minute, I got a list of five motherfuckers. That, um, you know, well, you know what? We practice. We go, you know, the aspiration, the aspiration, I can't do that right now, but the aspiration is I'd love to get there. I would love to live without a heart that has hate in it. I want to live without a heart that wants to cause harm. Because it has no, the other person doesn't suffer from that. We suffer from that. 
And we're part of those all beings we're kind to. So the renunciation of that aversion and that hatred is, is compassion for us and beneficial for us. It's skillful for us as well. And when we're compassionate towards ourselves, we have more room to be compassionate towards others. Holding all people accountable. It's not that we let people off the hook for doing um, egregious deeds. All people are accountable, but we don't wish anyone harm. Don't wish anyone harm. That's, that's an intention. That's an aspiration that I, that I try and hold to. Some days I do better than others. I've been challenged with this me too thing. There's been a lot of anger. There's been a lot of me walking around like, okay, let's have a seat on the couch, anger. <laughs> you're there. You're taking up the whole couch. I have to buy a, a new, new furniture for all that. <laughs> Here it is. So. so harmlessness. We ease into the precepts, not causing harm, not killing, but also cultivating kindness and compassion. How do we do that? What does that look like for us? As I said, there was a lot of kindness, there was a lot of compassion in the intentions this weekend. What does that look like for you? And the rest of the, the, rest of the, um, the, rest of the precepts really support that, that kindness and compassion. The next one is to not take um, what's not offered. You know, we don't steal. We don't take people hostage. We don't take time. Do you do do you do you work for what you're paid for? I always think about you know taking people hostage. I was in relationships long after the time they should have ended. You know that was taking time from that other person. So how do you take what's not offered? It's it can be cash register. It can be do you steal? Some people do. You investigate that for yourself and you go, my intention is to, this is causing harm to others, this is causing harm to me. How do I let that go? That's an intention. An intention to move in a direction that's skillful and beneficial. The next one is to be wise and careful with our sexuality. That's a powerful one. I know we've all suffered from that, and I bet most of us in this room have suffered from this 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 relationship, um, this relationship uh, function idea. We are, um, you know, the Buddha was really very um, broad. He says, you know, we uh, refrain from having relations that are not consensual. Yeah, they're not consensual. There's that me too again. Um, and uh, with minors, you know, those who are not capable of making, making decisions for themselves. But otherwise, we're wise. We come to, we come to our relations uh, with, a, with a, uh, an intention to be kind, with an intention to be non-harming, with an intention of compassion. And, and, you know, bringing the best we can. So being really mindful with our sexuality and our sexual relations and our relationships with other beings, really important. Such a powerful, powerful uh, place 
The next one is also huge. You know, we have an intention to be wise and careful with our speech. The Buddha said, think before you speak. Not anybody here really good at that? <laughs> I'm like, is it true? Is it necessary? How many times is it true but unnecessary? Texting, Facebook, Twitter. It's really true. They need to know this. Yeah. No, they don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. <sighs> and there's a freedom from being able to let go. Because when you it, do this, if you find yourself in that place and you're having, you should, is it necessary? Really spend time with what's driving that. Spend time with what's driving that. Do you need them to know? Do you want your point of view? Are you going to try and change the world? Um, I had, uh, there's a woman I grew up with, and um, I know her family. I mean, I haven't seen her or, yeah, we went, she, we grew up next to each other. She lived in the apartment building next door, and then she moved away, but we ended up going to the same high school. And so we Facebook friended each other a few number of years ago. She is diametrically opposed to me politically. She is a die-hard Fox News-watching, Trump-supporting person. And we agreed a long time ago not to comment on each other's posts. And all of a sudden, she started commenting on my posts this week. And um, my immediate reaction was to, and then I went, I don't want to respond that way. So I responded, mm -hmm. she you know, cut and pasted some, I would call nonsense, that had nothing to do with what I said. And I said, I'm confused by your response. This is not what I said. I said this. And she didn't respond. <laughs> and then she, this morning she tagged me in a 45-minute rant from some guy from the Heritage Institution talking about liberals in the belly of Hollywood. And I'm like, you know, I don't know any of those people. They're not like any people I know. Um, but he's othering and making liberals into cardboard cutouts, just as I, like some people, tend to do with conservatives. This is not beneficial. And she goes, I guess we just agree to disagree. <laughs> okay, thank you. Because I'm not going to change her mind. I don't need to get into a flame war with her. She's not going to get into a flame war with me. Or she sounded like she was heading there. But I'm like, I'm not going there. There's places I can make a difference. And Facebook is not one of them. <laughs> you know? And I have to remember that I know her parents. And they were very kind to me when I was a child. And I have to keep this flesh and blood image of her. Continuing to fight what I believe, fight for what I believe is right, and fight against what I think is injustice. Absolutely not backing down on that, but is it necessary? Is this necessary? No, this is not necessary. There are other things that are necessary. Speaking truth to power is necessary. Speaking up when, when there's injustice in front of your face is really necessary. Absolutely. 
And that's kind of what we're committed to here. And, and these practices have enabled me, have given me a platform to land on so that I can speak up when it is necessary. But a lot of times, in those arenas, it's not. So watch what's driving you when you're in that place. Investigate that for yourself and see where you can let go and see where you need to step up. Because stepping up can be really hard too. It's much easier to go, oh, I don't want to rock the boat because I'm afraid they won't like me. I'm afraid they'll get angry at me. I'm afraid of what they might say. And, and you know, fear stops us from being free. Have a seat on the couch, fear. I'm going to do it anyway. And recognize that that fear is there and like living in my body and doing it anyway. So is it true? Is it necessary? Is it the right time? There's a time and a place for everything. And sometimes it's not the right time. Can we say it kindly? You're such a jerk. That's not kind. And what's our intention? What's our intention? So we investigate our intention behind it too. And then the last precept is to be refrained from intoxicating drinks and drugs, which lead to carelessness. And Thich Nhat Hanh, in this precept, he expands it. Thich Nhat Hanh is a Vietnamese monk who is um, who's really a, a, an amazing man and an inspiration. Um, he came out of Vietnam during the Vietnam War and became an activist. He said, I could sit on my cushion or I could do something to end this injustice and this, this craziness that's happening. And he's been powerful, powerful voice for engaged Buddhism ever since. And he talks about the this as a as a um, a precept to investigate what you consume, not just drugs and alcohol, but what else do you consume that dulls you? I do binge watch constantly. Not saying that there's any, like I said, not saying that there's anything wrong with doing these particular things, but what's the relationship with it? Do you binge watch to avoid? Do you shop to avoid? All, do you do all these things to avoid experiencing your ex, what's happening for you? Watch what you watch what you ingest anywhere. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. Be careful that if anything that leads to mindlessness or heedlessness, pay attention because mindfulness is the foundation of our practice. We have to pay attention. If we're not paying attention, we're screwed. And so this ingestion of things that are, that are not wise or skillful can be really harmful. So watch. It's not like you got to give this up, but you know, if you find yourself, oh man, I'm using this as a way of not dealing with what I need to take care of. Be compassionate towards yourself. Really, I, I, want, I haven't said that yet, but really, be kind to yourself. When you begin to uncover these things, you didn't you didn't sit down one day and say, I'm going to become a junkie. And I'm going to do all these things because I don't want to feel. It's that you, none of us did that. We did it. It's just habit to avoid pain, and it was just slowly, slowly, slowly these things started happening. 
So the invitation is to recognize where you create the discomfort for yourself and see how you can let go. When you're paying attention in the moment, you can let go a moment at a time. When you see that you're craving, oh, this one thing will bring me everlasting happiness, think it through. You're not going to live happily ever after. That one thing is not, you're going to get it, and you know what? There's going to be one more thing. And then one more thing. So be willing to pay attention. Be willing to be mindful. Mindfulness, so mindfulness is, is the underpinning of all of this stuff. So if you ingest things that cause you to be mind heedless, you're not going to get very far. So these intentions that we do are really held beautifully by the precepts. So they're a great way to um, um, frame what we do. And there's a really lovely... Um, when they talk about uh, uh, intention and our intent, I love this, this, this say, intention leads to deeds, deeds lead to habits, habits lead to character, and character leads to destiny. So if you start paying attention and start developing skillful intentions, beneficial intentions, intentions that will have beneficial results, Results that don't cause harm. Results that are actually generous and kind and loving and compassionate. Then your deeds will be generous and kind and loving and compassionate. And your habits will be generous and kind and loving and compassionate. And your character will become generous and kind and loving and compassionate. And there will be your destiny. That's karma. Right there. That's where liberation is. It's not about the outside circumstances. It's not about having the stuff or the things. It's about your relationship to everything. How can you hold the world with ease, regardless of what's happening? Recognizing that things need to be addressed, that there is a shit ton of greed, hatred, and delusion in this world that is wreaking havoc on a daily basis. People are dying because of this greed, hatred, and delusion. That's not okay. We vow to end suffering where we see it. Absolutely. But for ourselves, how do we show up? We have to take care of ourselves so we can in turn turn around and take care of others and do what needs to be done.